This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, December 10th. I'm Rachel Del Judas. And I'm Virginia Allen. A court in the UK recently ruled that children 16 years and younger cannot be prescribed puberty-blocking hormone drugs, and the U.S. needs to take notice. Nicole Russell, a Daily Signal contributor, and I recently spoke on the Problematic Women podcast about this case and the impact the transgender craze is having on people across the nation. We are so excited to share that interview with you here on today's show. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now onto our top news. President Trump is speaking out in support of Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton and the motion he filed with the Supreme Court against Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Paxton filed the motion earlier this week, asserting that because Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin changed aspects of their voting laws without the legislature, the four states' electoral college votes should not be counted. On Wednesday, the president tweeted, we will be intervening in the Texas plus many other states' case. This is the big one. Our country needs a victory. Several other states are backing Paxton's efforts. Kansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, and Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry are all standing with the Texas motion. Just one-fourth of all Republicans are accepting of the November 3rd election results. A new survey from NPR, PBS NewsHour, and Marist found that, per NPR, 61% say they trust the results, including two-thirds of independents, but just 24% of Republican respondents say they accept the results. The NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll surveyed 1,065 U.S. adults conducted between December 1st and December 6th. The margin of error for the overall sample is 3.7 percentage points. YouTube announced Wednesday that beginning on December 9th, they will remove videos that claim there was widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. In a blog post, YouTube said, Yesterday was the safe harbor deadline for the U.S. presidential election, and enough states have certified their election results to determine a president-elect. Given that, we will start removing any piece of content uploaded today or any time after that misleads people by alleging that widespread fraud or error changed the outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election. YouTube gave the example that videos claiming that a presidential candidate won the election due to widespread software glitches or counting errors will be pulled down. A woke Santa in Illinois has resigned after telling a boy he couldn't have a Nerf gun for Christmas. The Santa in a mall in Norwich, Illinois, told a boy who asked for a Nerf gun that he wouldn't bring him one. Here is their exchange via White Hose. What do you want for Christmas? Uh, you don't know. You have what? Nope, no guns. Nerf guns. Nope, not even a Nerf gun. Nope. If, you, if your dad wants to get it for you, that's fine, but I can't bring it to you. Well, what else would you like? 
lots of other toys. There's Legos, there's bicycles, there's cars and trucks. What do you think? What do you think? It's okay, we're dead. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Nicole Russell as we discuss the impact of the transgender movement on young people and society as a whole. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear some of the biggest names in American politics speak? Every day, the Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. Webinar topics range from ethics during the COVID-19 pandemic to the CARES Act and the economy. These webinars are free and open to the public. To find the latest webinars and register, visit heritage.org events. I do want to give our audience just a quick heads up that some of the content of the following interview is sensitive uh, and may not be appropriate to children. So you may want to skip ahead and come back and listen to this interview later if you are currently with young children. I am joined by Nicole Russell, a journalist and a contributor at The Daily Signal. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So one of the issues that we try to really consistently cover on this show is the transgender movement and specifically how that movement affects children and women. Nicole, as a journalist, you cover this issue pretty extensively. Of course, over the past several years, we have seen a, a really major spike in individuals and particularly young women coming out as transgender taking hormones, puberty blockers, and even in some instances having those physically altering surgeries. You recently wrote a piece uh, for the Daily Signal titled UK Issues Landmark Ruling Protecting Kids from Life-Altering Hormone Replacement Therapy. Can you explain this lawsuit in, in the UK that you wrote about and what that landmark ruling was? Absolutely. So in the UK... There is a gender clinic uh, called the Tavistock and Portman NHS Trust. Um, they're the only, you know, clinic in the UK that uh, facilitates um, transitions, uh, I guess you could call them, to another gender. And uh, there was a young woman named Kira Bell who uh, went to the clinic when she was about 16 she told them that she wanted to transition to male and they helped her uh, start that process. So she did a uh, some hormonal replacement therapy 
uh, where she started taking, um, you know, cross hormones. She started taking testosterone, and I believe she also had a mastectomy. Um, and so she could begin, you know, this this quote unquote um, medical transition to, toward male. And then she learned, you know, over time she decided she did not want to be a male. She did not want to live that way. And she regretted the transition that she had done. She, she regretted the changes she'd made through puberty blockers and um, hormones and through surgery. And so she actually sued this gender clinic. And the case eventually, uh, as cases do here, you know, worked its way up to their high court. And the high court found last week um, that what the gender clinic had done in facilitating her transition was wrong. And they basically ruled that going forward, this clinic cannot help children under the age of 16 do transitions like this anymore because uh, they found, they, they used her testimony, they, they reviewed her testimony and basically came to the decision that children under 16 cannot understand the ramifications of taking testosterone or, or estrogen or puberty blockers or anything else. And so they don't know what they're doing to their bodies. They don't understand that these um, choices are in most cases uh, life altering and unable to be reversed. And so they decided um, to basically, you know, ban them, they were ban the clinic from being able to do them. And so now um, she, she said about the ruling, and I wrote this in my piece, that she was very pleased with their decision. Uh, and she feels like it will help uh, young people as they kind of navigate these waters. So I think as far as it relates to the United States, you know, the UK has always been slightly ahead of us uh, in terms of the culture war, in terms of, of the transgender issue. They've been very sort of welcoming to the concept of people transitioning. And so I think this is a huge uh, step toward protecting children from making decisions that would alter their bodily chemistry for life. Yeah, I... It, it's definitely uh, incredible to see the UK make this decision. And I, I really hope that the US is paying attention because in some states in America, kids can start receiving these drugs without parental consent as young as 15, even 13 years old. They can begin taking these drugs that will literally alter their body uh, potentially for forever, uh, do irreversible damage. Yes, it's been really frustrating to observe, you know, the transgender movement as a whole first began, I think, just as a frustration, maybe among adults, and you watched adults transition slowly. And I think now it's really has moved to teenagers. And it has become, as Abigail Schreier talks about in her book, kind of a contagion. You know, it's really spread almost as like the cool thing to do. And so teenagers are making these choices and doctors are often, you know, letting them make decisions to change their bodily chemistry in a way that can't be undone. Uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of 
of detransitioners out there. In fact, there was a piece um, in a London newspaper a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, about detransitioners um, who have decided, you know, we tried to transition and we realized it was a mistake. And now they're kind of, their body is somewhere between male and female. And so I think in the United States, it's definitely something we want to look for. I know there's been legislation um, put forth to try to, you know, put caps on on at least these age ranges so that we can, you know, protect uh, minors from doing something they will regret. Uh, because we've often, we've found as we've researched this and as time has gone on that often um, teenagers, if they receive therapy and if they just uh, don't do any of the transitioning, uh, the medical transitions, that they often sort of come out of this phase and they realize like in their 20s, okay, they don't want to live like that anymore. And that's what we want to try to prevent here in the U.S. And I hope that we can look at the U.K. as an example and, and hold firm on this issue. I think that that's what made Kara Bell's testimony so incredibly powerful is she raised that. She said, you know, I, I just wish that, you know, doctors, people around me would have pushed me a little bit more of like, okay, why do you actually want to take those steps? But she brought up that one of the things that really motivated her to keep going down this path of, of transitioning was encouragement that she received from the internet. Yes. Uh, and you mentioned Abigail Schreier. We had her on this podcast back in July. She authored the book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters. And Abigail spoke about the power of social media in this issue that, you know, when a teenage girl who already feels awkward and uncomfortable, when she's celebrated on social media for coming out as trans, you know, you get that feeling of affirmation that you've been looking for for so long, and it keeps you walking down this path. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I, I think that is a really powerful connection. Um, and I think it's, you know, in terms of, of parenting, something that that all parents of teenagers and especially teenage girls uh, need to just keep an eye on is who are they talking to? You know, what are they doing online? I know there's Reddit threads that are just this sort of vortex of the transgender craze. It has gone from an issue that was um, maybe sort of awkward and unspeakable to very hip and very cool. And, and I think it is kind of sucking in a portion of the generation that, like you said, is already a little bit awkward or maybe girls that don't fit in. And so I think it is something to for parents to consider, you know, working through that in therapy, but not necessarily going as far as the actual transitions. And it seems like I think the I think the real problem is it feels like, a, you know, doctors or even just parents should be aware of that and they should know that. But for some reason on this issue, everybody tends to give in. There are few people in the medical industry that are willing to hold the line and say, you know, look, if your arm was hurting, you wouldn't chop it off. But when, when a teenage girl comes to a doctor and says, I just feel like I want to be a boy, they're like, okay, you know, let's do a mastectomy. It's so extreme and it's so dramatic 
and I can really pin it back to this whole concept of, of kind of this craze being accepted societally and with the progressive media and with Hollywood. And it's made it really difficult to combat. It's really disturbing that, like you say, you know, on so many other issues, it feels like we can have a reasonable conversation. Like two sides can present, you can look at the medical facts, you can look at the science, but specifically on the transgender issue, it really feels like logic got thrown out. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a natural pendulum swing where, like you say, it used to sort of be this taboo issue, and now we've swung all the way to the other side to where, if, you know, if you speak out, and if you speak against someone that has come out as transgender, you know, and if you question them right away, you're shut down, you're called a bigot. Uh, <laughs> and it, it is just a little bit crazy of how, how did we get to this place so quickly where professionals are willing to ignore science essentially, it seems like, because of social pressure. I think the way this happened is a lot due to Hollywood's influence. Um, Hollywood has always led the way kind of in tandem with a lot of the mainstream media in terms of progressive issues and the LGBT uh, movement in general. And so I think you've seen a lot of Hollywood stars, you know, come out. First it was gay and then gay marriage. And now we are, you know, doing the transgender craze as well. I think they've really led the way and it's, it's they've normalized something that typically, and you alluded to this in medical circles would be, um, would be questioned. And I think that their influence has played a significant role. You recently wrote uh, a great piece for the post-millennial discussing uh, actress Ellen Page, who now uh, has been asked to be called Elliot Page. She's changing her name. Uh, and Page, born a woman, biologically a woman, but now says she identifies as a man. Uh, and it, it really took you know IMDb, Wikipedia, a whole slew of media outlets no time at all to get right in lockstep and begin referring to Paige as he. Uh, what do you think this says about the media? I mean, obviously, Paige is a, a grown adult, can make decisions as, as you know, she sees fit. But <laughs> I think it's, it's one thing for an individual to, you know, personally say, okay, now I identify as a man. My name is Elliot. It's a whole other thing for you know society to turn on a dime and say, "Oh, yep, that's the truth." Absolutely, I think you nailed it. I think the real issue with transgender adults is is exactly what we saw happen with Paige. Paige has lived for thirty three years not only as a female, but um, she came out. I, I believe it was twenty fourteen as lesbian. She is married to another woman. And when she made this decision last week and announced on her social media that she was now going to be a transgender, she was now going to be dressed as a he and a they were uh, Paige's new preferred pronouns. And like you said, changed her name. And so we had immediately all, uh, you know, there was not one person, I think probably outside of the center right media that that stopped for a minute and said now now just wait a minute how how is it possible 
that you can just decide one day, or perhaps for Paige, it was a, it was a period of time, but according to, you know, her announcement, it was like you said, kind of on a dime. Um, how is it that you can go from living as a female and being, uh, being a lesbian married to a female and now you're changing to male and i think the problem with with doing that and with this with the media kind of just almost coming to her rescue and deciding okay we're going to use um different pronouns is this concept of compelling other people to use a specific type of speech that is typically used um you know, accurately and when and when describing real things. What you have happening here is a real collective attempt to gaslight um, your average American person into buying into this concept that if one day you decide to be to go from female to male, everyone should just join in and everyone must refer to you as whatever thing you've chosen. And I think it's just, it's so dangerous to fall into this or to walk alongside uh, the media and someone like Paige who, um, you know, clearly I think should be treated with respect and with dignity. You know, she's a human being like anyone else, but to buy into the lie um, that you can change your biological reality is is really a slippery slope. It's it's like I said earlier. It's it's really not done anywhere else. Um, you know, if a five year old said, "I want to be an Avenger. I am an Avenger, and now you must call me." You you know you would laugh and go like, "Okay, sure," but you're also a little boy. Um, if someone said, you know, I'm a 30-year-old woman and now I identify as a dolphin, I mean, you would laugh because it's just not possible. And yet when it comes to this, when uh, a movie star says, I'm, I've been a woman my whole life, I love women, I'm married to a woman, and now I'm going to be a man, everyone goes, oh, okay, no problem. It really defies logic, and it's you're asking the collective public to engage um, in this deceptive, you know, use of language, and and I think it's it's really a dangerous path to walk down. And where where does this path take us? I mean, ultimately, if at some point uh, common sense, science, truth doesn't get put back into this debate and discussion. Where do we end up if we just keep walking down this road? Well, I think for starters, you start erasing women. Um, I've noticed this for the last couple of years as the transgender movement's really picked up uh, in the media that um, transgender, you know, males, males living as women, um, using women's bathrooms. So you have women put at risk. Um, this is something J.K. Rowling, you know, talked about over the summer and really got excoriated for. And she was clearly, you know, not acting out of any sort of bigotry, but actual concern for women and children. So I think you'll have this kind of gradual erasure of women. 
Um, and I think that would be, uh, you know, a sad, a sad thing to see. And I think you'll also, you're also having this, this constant kind of gender swapping, you know, and so you're, you're removing the uniqueness of men and the uniqueness of women, um, their, their gender, you know, stereotypes. And you're saying, you know, no, they're, they're, we're not unique at all. We can totally swap. And it's no big deal because there's nothing special about men. There's nothing special about women. And so it's okay to just um, switch back and forth. And so I think you're going to see a gradual decline in just the, the celebration of, of, the, of the things men bring to the table and the things women bring to the table. Um, and I think you're also going to see even just maybe um, a moral decline in terms of um, people justifying all kinds of behaviors, um, you know, sexual behaviors, because, hey, if you can go from male to female, why can't you do other things, um, you know, in terms of, of gender swapping or your sexual relationships? I think you're going to see people going down that path because we haven't held the line um, where it is. And I think it's just an unfortunate thing to observe and particularly this celebration. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't one person when this happened last week that said, um, hold on a minute, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and, when, and like you, you pointed out earlier, when you do say that, um, I know on YouTube, if you, if you start referring to a transgender person, you know, by their former name or their former gender, um, you you can risk being banned. You can risk being demonetized because of quote unquote dead naming. And so they've really, you know, society, kind of progressive parts of society have really banded together and kind of circled the wagons around these really harmful progressive concepts um, and, and acted like they're normal when when they're actually really abnormal and they're harmful, they're erasing women and they're kind of mixing up things that really should be um, separated and celebrated. Yeah. So I guess that then kind of raises the question of like, whose responsibility is it to kind of, I guess, bring people back to earth on this issue to bring some common sense back to this discussion? and I mean, I, I guess that's in some ways it, it's all of our responsibility, whether, you know, it's in conversations just with friends or obviously we would love to see the medical community really step up on this issue uh, and really speak some truth here. Uh, like we saw in the UK, you know, to see rulings at a judicial level that hold fast to truth, hold fast to science. But what do you what do you think, Nicole? Who? Yeah, that's a really yeah, that's a really good question. I do really wish um, the medical community would um, would just observe what they've seen as professionals and really um, just gather up their own courage and 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 start to just um, be the voice of reason because I do think um, some people would listen to that. I know. That's one of the things, um, you know, that's the way, the reason Jordan Peterson really skyrocketed to fame um, here was because of of his stance on um, compelled speech as it related to this issue in Canada. Um, 
I think he was kind of, you know, one of the first people to see this coming in a modern sense and to, and to kind of go, you know, it's a, if you want to call yourself that, like, okay, that's fine, but making other people do it is an issue. Um, and so I think, you know, he did shed some, some positive light, you know, but I think people have kind of maybe even forgotten that as he, as he kind of became famous. I think even, um, you know, as we mentioned, Abigail Schreier's, you know, she, she came to write that book um, just as a journalist, just noticing, you know, that kids were struggling and their parents uh, were struggling with how to handle it. I think, you know, one of the good things about her, not only did she write the book, but then the book has gotten backlash. The book has gotten censored. It's gotten banned. You know, if parents try to put a billboard up of the book, you know, that gets taken down. And so I think, I'm hoping that when people see, okay, someone's trying to speak some truth. Someone's trying to kind of wave the flag of, you know, let's look at reality again and common sense and, and logic. Um, and, and, and people are panicking and pushing back against it. You know, that that means something. It means that we're on to something and that um, the common sense crowd or, or just the science crowd, you know, really shouldn't be ignored. So I do think, um, you know, kind of bringing it back to your average person, um, if you're a parent, um, it's, it is important to kind of ask your kids, you know, what are they learning? I always ask my kids what they're learning is specifically in subjects that are really subjective um, and where this kind of thing can be snuck in. Um, so like English, science, history, those are subjects that um, if you happen to live in a really um, you know, liberal area or sort of progressive part of the country. Um, teachers could easily sneak in, you know, books and and textbooks and movies that that kind of touch on this and make it make it normal, make it feel like it's normalized. And so I think as parents um, and just observers, those are the types of things you should be talking about with your kids. I think calling it out where you see it. You know, it's just that that's another way because we can't all do legislation. We can't all write articles. You know, not everyone is in the public arena. But I think even just kind of holding your own in your own family and among your friends and having the courage to point out things that seem illogical and things that seem countercultural is um, I think even all those little steps are helpful. No, that's such a good point. I, I find that you know, it's so helpful to just when you find yourself in those discussions, just to like ask questions, like just get people thinking like, wait a second, like how, how does this logic follow? So that- yeah, you know, even if I can add, um, I guess I wrote about this for the Daily Signal a few weeks ago. Um, my daughters watched um, Netflix made a um, babysitter's club um, series based on the old books. And I loved those books as a kid. And, and so they started watching them. And we noticed in, in an episode about halfway through the series that they completely snuck in um, a whole, the whole um, episode was about a, the, one of the babysitters watching a transgender kid. And so they went through the whole thing in fiction about this little kid deciding to go from I can't even remember, boy to girl or whatever. And the babysitter was super cool and hip and progressive about it and was totally accepting. 
And so we all watched this, uh, my daughters and I, and then, and then we talked about it. And I didn't want to shield them from it because it was material at their age, at their level, but I wanted them to see it. And then I was right there to kind of say, okay, what do we, what do we think about this? Can this really happen? And what do you think? And then I kind of taught them, you know, what I think and tried to use it as a, you know, a sort of teachable moment um, so that they weren't completely, um, you know, getting the issue and then left in the dark to, to, to feel around. And nor did I just, I mean, you could shield your kids depending on their age, but I did want them to see like, this is out there and they are targeting kids. Uh, much of the media is targeting young kids that, you know, don't have the capacity often on their own to think through this because kids are gullible and naive. And I think they're kind of counting on that. And so I think, you know, like you said, asking the questions and kind of pointing some seeds of logic and doubt in their minds uh, is a, is another way to do it. So important. Nicole, we really just appreciate your insight on this issue. How can our listeners follow your work? I write, as you said, for the Daily Signal. I write for the Washington Examiner. I'm on Twitter uh, at Russell underscore NM. You can follow all of my random insights <laughs> there. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, Nicole, thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.